Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I'm Chester Elton, and this is my dear friend and co-author, Adrian Costa. Well, hello, everybody. We hope the time you spend with us is going to help remove the stigma of anxiety and mental health in the workplace and your personal life. We invite experts from the world of work and life to give us ideas and, most importantly, tools to deal with anxiety in our world. And our guest today is our new friend, Laura Putnam, as CEO of Motion Infusion, a wellness and human performance improvement provider. Laura merges evidence-based methodologies from the field of wellness with best practices from the field of learning and development to address engagement, behavior change, human performance, and building healthier, happier, and more innovative organizations. And we all want those, right? Laura has a master's degree in education from Brown University and an undergraduate from Stanford University and is the author of the book, Workplace Wellness That Works. She's clearly a lot smarter and better educated than either you or me, Adrian. Exactly. Uh, Laura, we are delighted to welcome you to our humble podcast. It's so great to be here. Thank you both so much. Well, thanks again, Laura, for being on the show. And, uh, you know, first off, we want you to tell us about your journey. You've had an interesting journey to to, to get into this place where you help others with their wellness. Uh, you know, for, for everybody so they can know, you were a public school teacher, worked in Africa even, even worked in the U.S. Senate. And if there's a place that needs some wellness, <laughs> uh, it is there. So take us a little bit through your journey. Well, you know, one of your earlier guests, Elena Love, she yeah. spoke about how purpose is evolving. Mm -hmm. So I have really taken that to the nth degree. I have out millennialized, out Gen Z'd any uh, <laughs> Gen Z'er or millennial out there. I'm a Gen Xer. Um, but it, it, I um, started out, you know, after graduating from Stanford, uh, lived in DC, worked on the a Senate subcommittee. And then from there, I worked as a ski bum in Vail, Colorado, and then to Mexico City, where I worked on a, a in a children's hospital, and then on to Africa, where I worked as a community organizer and a teacher. I had a stint as a youth leadership organizer, um, and then went to Brown, taught uh, urban in urban public high schools. Then actually went to New York City, where I was a professional dancer. And now here we are. Uh, 2008, I started Motion Infusion, my best attempt to pull together all of the, these different threads. You know, Laura, after hearing that, I can just say our listeners saying, well, either she's incredibly ADD or she's staying just one step ahead of the law. So, you know. <laughs> I think it's the latter. <laughs> They're, just because uh, you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Hey, um, talk to us about uh, workplace wellness programs. You know, you write in your books and your writings that they, they don't work. So what are employers doing? What are companies doing that's missing the mark? I mean, everybody's got these programs. Why aren't they working? You know, I think we've learned the hard way that unlike the field of dreams, if you build it as in a workplace wellness program, they will not necessarily come. And in fact, most <laughs> don't, <laughs> as in the people that we're trying to reach. And um, I, I think that this has been really frustrating because most organizations, I think, well-intended and they want to help their workforce. And so they set up these wellness programs only to find that many times as much as 80% of eligible employees are simply opting out. So my book, Workplace Wellness That Works, is really about how do we build well-being initiatives that actually work as opposed to ones that don't work. And so there are a number of steps, but one that I talk about a lot is this idea of 
hey, instead of starting yet another program, let's start a movement. People don't get excited about programs. They get excited about movements. And so that's really what the book is all about is how do you start it? How do you build it? And then how do you make it last? So give us okay. some give us some specific things you see. Sorry, Jess. When you go out, you know, when you're working with organizations, give me give us a couple of things that people do wrong. That's what I was going to ah, ask. So good see, to see. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds think alike. Well, I think that the, the one of the biggest things is um, a assuming as long as we build it, people are going to uh, participate in it. That's mistake number one. I think another is an over reliance on incentives. Um, both positive and negative incentives. You know, as long as we pay people, of course they're going to participate in these. And of course, the irony is that if you attach incentives incentives to these programs, then people think, wow, these programs must really suck because they have to pay us to participate in these. They also often fail to really engage the key influencers. And so a lot of times these wellness programs go direct to employees and they kind of skip the leaders and the managers and so people kind of you know often are getting mixed signals they have these programs that are saying you know turn off your devices at night and meanwhile they have a manager who sends them late night emails and so there are a lot of these disconnects and I think perhaps the biggest issue is that too often there's a huge disconnect between the programs that are offered and the larger culture um, across the organization. And so, uh, you know, the, the programs talk about the need for compassion, let's say. And meanwhile, the larger culture might be one in which toxicity is tolerated. So yeah. these kinds of mismatches really, uh, you know, people are smart. They can pick up on these disconnects and they can, they know that they get the sense that their company is doing this to them, as in these programs, as opposed to really for them. Which leads us to this idea you talk about influencers and that managers have to model that right behavior. So how do you get the skeptical manager that says, look, uh, it's on the website, click the button, go get help, to the, the manager and the leader that really does model that behavior? How do you win them over? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think the first thing is to, to really help them to understand just why well-being at work done well is not only good for people, but it's good for the organization, and it is essential for building a winning team. So that's the first thing. You have to really establish the why. Then the second piece is then you have to show them why them specifically, why it's not enough for an organization to just kind of hand it over to HR and benefits to put together these programs, and we can kind of uh, you know, we're done with our job, but really the manager is, uh, whether or not well-being is part of their job description, they hold the key when it comes to the extent to which their team members actually engage with well-being. They are uniquely positioned to either persuade or dissuade their team members from engaging with their well-being, whether it's, you know, more formally through programs, but also more informally just as in taking care of themselves. And so according to Gallup, the manager alone likely accounts for up to 70% of the variance of their engagement, both with their work, as you all know very well, but as well as their, as their well-being. So then you have to, after you've established why well-being, why them, then you got to give them the tools forward, which is uh, the three big steps that I always advocate is very simple. You got to do, speak, and create. <laughs> you got to lead by example. 
I want to see my boss in spandex phenomenon, I call it. You got to talk <laughs> about it, right? <laughs> I mean, think about the difference between yet another email blast coming out from HR about some wellness event versus your direct manager saying, hey, there's a really cool event coming up on mindfulness. I'm going to it or I'm taking advantage of these EAP, these employee assistance programs. Hey, I really found that it helped. Or gee, you know, I've been really having a hard time with my anxiety can we talk about this? And then finally, um, for them to create team-based systems so that every team member feels like that they are just a little bit healthier, a little bit happier, a little bit more well because of their team and because of their direct manager. Yeah, and just to, to tag on to that, uh, Adrian, you will never see me in spandex. <laughs> never going to happen. And, and I really have no desire to see you in spandex. I'll just tell you right now. Hey, yeah, uh, this is great. You know, because I, I do remember reading in one of your, one of your blogs about, uh, you know, the boss who passes you in the hall, right? The big boss and says, yeah, I don't wear spandex. You know, like, you know, it, that's the antithesis of what we're looking for. So as I've been reading through, and I haven't gotten to this chapter yet in your book, but you talk about the Da Vinci approach to change i just want i was just so interested in that i wanted you to explain that to me before we get i get to that chapter in your book so can you walk us through that laura yeah i mean i think one of the big things with wellness is overall we feel like you know it, it, there's very specific experts that we need to bring in to set up these wellness programs and engage people with these wellness programs. You know, we need to bring in the exercise physiologists. We need to bring in the nutritionists. Um, we need to bring in clinicians, you know, these experts. Um, we need to bring in scientists and researchers. And the truth of the matter is that the only way that your well-being efforts are going to be effective is if you apply a da Vinci multidisciplinary kind of approach. So you need everybody on board. And I often think about in 1989, you may remember when Reagan said, Gorbachev, tear that wall down. So I often tell organizations, uh, tear those silos down. You need to have all departments on board. You need to have IT on board. You need to have marketing, huge part of this, you know, really selling people that on this idea on an emotional level um you need to have hr on board obviously um you, and you need to have people on board on all levels it really has to be across all departments and um, l and d are really important people to have on board um so it can't just be the wellness team <laughs> single-handedly and kind of starting a, a, an initiative across the organization um, if you want it to have legs you really have to have all hands on deck Tell, tell us a little bit about where we can learn more about your work, Laura, and uh, how people can learn more about you. Well, you can always go to motioninfusion.com as well as lauraputnam.com. And I'm very active on social media. So you can find me on Twitter at Motion Infusion or on LinkedIn uh, looking up Laura Putnam or on Instagram at Laura Putnam Author. So very easy to find me. One of the things we talk about in our book, Anxiety Work, is community. You know, and you talk about that as well, how community helps with anxiety. So you say community helps overall with wellness. So this is one of the things we were just, Chess and I were just talking to a client yesterday that said that Gallup question, we have a best friend at work, is the hardest question for our <laughs> leaders to take. They say, why do you have to be best friend? Why can't it just be, I know somebody at work? Why can't, you know, so, so why do we have to build these strong communities? And more importantly, how do we do it? Right. 
Well, first of all, I just want to say in the work that I've done with managers, uh, when I bring up that, uh, you know, if you have a best friend at work, you're seven times more likely to be highly engaged in your work. Boy, do I get pushback on that from managers. (laughs) That seems to send them through the roof more than anything else. But I, you know, I think that, you know, one of the things that I've really come to question is this idea that we are creatures of habit. And, you know, there are all these books out there on individual habit formation. And I would argue that, in fact, we are more creatures of culture. We tend to adapt to the culture and the environment that's around us. And so that's, again, why managers are so well positioned. They kind of carve out that culture for their team for better or for worse. And so if you really want to help people to adopt healthier habits, then um, and including habits that will help to safeguard them against anxiety, it really has to be more of a group effort as opposed to an individual effort. And unfortunately, in the world of wellness, we tend to, including in our efforts to help people with mental health, which, as we all know, is more important than ever right now, it tends to be very much of an individual approach, which is kind of let's identify the individuals who are at risk and connect them with the resources that they need, and then our job is done, as opposed to, well, let's go upstream a little bit, and let's start to create some cultures of compassion uh, where we really help people to prevent people from reaching that state of crisis in the first place. Really interesting. So, you know, people listening to the podcast are saying, okay, there's a lot of information here. Uh, give us two things. Uh, where, where can they start? Two things to help people start on this journey. Well, I think one of the first things is, and this really builds on our theme that we've been talking about right now, is to consider the idea of team care as opposed to self-care. Who is your team that can help you to really care for yourself? And um, this doesn't have to be a solo exercise. We are always better when we are together. And then really tied to that, and I, I think one of our biggest learnings from everything that we've gone through since the start of the pandemic and everything that's come with it, I call the mental health crisis the, the second act of the pandemic. Um, kind of all those things that we needed to do to care for ourselves during the pandemic have extracted a real toll on our, on our emotional and uh, mental well-being. So I would say that the final thing is, you know, we as Americans, um, I think we perhaps value individualism above all else. But if there is anything that we have learned from the pandemic and all that has come with it, it is that my health matters to you and yours matters to me. There simply is no me without you and the only way forward is together. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I love this idea of team care, don't you, Adrian? Yeah. Um, that we are part of a community. And I think, you know, with so many people being having to isolate and so on, we've, we've lost that sense of community. It's a great reminder. It really is. That's, that's one of the things I'm taking away today, Laura, is that we, you know, we've been doing this podcast for over a year now. Nobody's really talked about this this culture of compassion, you know, bringing the team into it as much because it's hard. We're afraid that, uh, well, if I bring it up, everybody's going to, you know, kind of make light of it. or Yeah, there'll be some stumbling blocks. There'll be some some issues that come up along the way. 
But isn't it, we, we know everything's better when we get others involved. And so really a powerful thought you have here. You know, I think the hard thing about well-being is, um, you know, for, for us to really promote better health and well-being, it's hard work. And, yeah. uh, you know, we've tended to want to take a Band-Aid approach to it. And uh, so somebody who is overworked having to do the, 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 the job of, of three people, um, they're having to double time as teacher at home with their kid and they're, uh, you know, working uh, with their job, you know, a yoga program is not going to do much. As much as I love yoga, <laughs> I really do. Um, it's not going to do much. And it really, uh, it, you know, leaders have to be willing to do the hard work to look at some of these deeper structural issues and really ask themselves the question, are our people truly healthier, happier, more able to be their best selves because they work here or less so? Yeah. Go ahead, Adrian. We, we love to talk about uh you know, personal rituals. I yeah, think that's yeah. where you're going to go, right? Well, I, I really would. I, I, you know, because you've gone through a lot in your life, Lori. You've had, you know, ups and downs. You've probably figured out some interesting self-care things that you do, rituals that you do to help you stay mentally strong during the day. So, yeah, walk us through a few of those ideas. Well, one of my favorites, and um, I wish I could claim it, but I can't. <laughs> this actually comes from Martin Seligman. Um and uh, he talked about the power of, of naming three good things. Just simply naming three good things. Three good things that have happened to me uh, this morning. Um, you know, one is that I had a delicious cup of tea. A second is that the sun is shining. And the third is that I'm talking with you two right now. So I often begin my day with naming three good things, or I'll do it at the end of the day. Another one uh, that I love, and it works really well, again, as a team, is 531, which is a little bit of an expansion on that. Um, take five deep breaths, name three good things, and commit to one random act of kindness. And then the final thing is that there's nothing that beats just going outside in the sunshine for a moment. Um, I particularly like um, getting out into nature. I'm lucky enough to live right by a park and bringing a cup of coffee with heavy cream in it. I, I don't think there's anything that beats that. <laughs> Maybe whipped cream with a cherry on top. Yeah, that yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so interesting. The many people we've talked to, it keeps coming back again and again, this idea of step out into nature. Let nature just kind of envelop you. You know, appreciate the beauty uh, that's around you. And uh, I'm honored that you're, one of your three things this morning was to be on our podcast. Hey, um, what, you know, if you wanted people to take away one or two things from our conversation, say, look, there's just a couple of things of all the things we've talked about that I would really like you to focus on. What do you want to be remembered for in this podcast? Give us two. Well, I think the first thing is to really question the mantra that we hear over and over again, which is, hey, it's really easy. All you got to do is take personal responsibility for your health and well-being and you're good. Um, I think we have put an undue amount of pressure upon the individual and we have not taken into consideration enough those uh, kind of concentric circles of cultural and environmental influence that either make it easy for us or actually can make it really hard for the individual to engage with their well-being. So I um, actually, in partnership with a DEI expert, Karen Catlin, we came up with the idea of wellness privilege. Do you have wellness privilege? For example, are you lucky enough, like I am, to live by a park? 100 million, 100 million Americans 
don't have easy access to, to green space. So that's that's the first thing, considering this idea of, of wellness privilege and how do we work collectively to ensure that everybody has wellness privilege and not just a few of us. And, um, and then I would say the second thing is really the power of the team. I talk about, uh, you know, in my work with managers, I talk about this idea about the power of what I characterize as a middle-out movement driven by managers across the organization and just how much organizations can really be transformed team by team. That's awesome. You know, our guest today is Laura Putnam. She's the CEO of Motion Infusion, a wellness and human performance provider, and is the author of Workplace Wellness that works. So tell us again, where can people find your book and connect with you? And why should they buy two copies and not just one? <laughs> well, let's start with the latter. First, uh, it's always better with a friend than by yourself. <laughs> Even better if you do it as a team. And uh, you can find the book on any of the major distribution channels. You can go on Amazon. That's a really easy place to get it. Barnes & Noble, um, I love them in particular. Um, but you can also go on the Motion Infusion website, and there's a link right there that'll take you right to the place where you can buy one. Well, Laura, this has been a delight. We've, we've learned a lot. It's challenged our thinking and, uh, and hopefully our listeners as well. So we want to thank you for, for sharing and for what you do for organizations uh, around the world. Uh, your work is so important. And we want to thank you for sharing it with us today. Thank, thanks so much for being on the show. We, we love your energy, your smile. And, you know, it's, it is a podcast, but we also appreciate your cat <laughs> coming in and out. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. He likes to be part of these. Thank you both so much. Adrian, lots of good stuff. I'm curious, what were your takeaways? Yeah, it really was. Um, let's kind of uh, unpack a little bit because this is what we hear from so many of our clients as well. As we go into work with organizations, they're saying, hey, our wellness program just really isn't working. EAP, you know, the Employee Assistance Program, the, you know, nobody's really using that. But we've been telling them to do that. Uh, so Laura really did help us understand a little bit my, why. Uh, for one thing, we're not really getting the managers involved, right? They're still right. saying, oh, you got a problem? Yeah, go talk to HR. Yeah, the influencers, you know, and all that data that we have been looking at for years and years that, you know, 70%, or she mentioned the Gallup study, 70% of the employees engagement is, is on the manager. How do they model it? The thing that I put a big star beside and circled it, I even took a different colored pen Ooh, to make sure I wouldn't forget it, yeah, is that uh, we're not so much creatures of habit. We are creatures of culture, and we adapt to the culture we're in. You know, I got to thinking about that as she said that. I thought, you know, one of my first jobs was uh, selling broadcast time in, in Detroit, and we had a manager, Teddy Pierce, who was just amazing, and he made it so much fun. You know, we played softball. We, we shot softballs up against the walls with our hockey sticks. It was Detroit. You know, it's a, it's a hockey town. And I adapted so quickly to that. And I thought, you know, I adapted just as quickly to other cultures where it was more buttoned up. You know, it moved, moved to New York. It was suits and ties back yeah. then. And there was a, and so I, I really thought that was insightful. We are creatures of culture. We adapt. So what kind of culture are you creating to make it safe for people to talk about wellness? Yeah. And what she said was what managers are supposed to do, do, speak, and create. So 
do, you know, do model the behavior. We've talked about this many times about being more vulnerable, being, you know, I love what she said about being excited. Boy, there's this new mindfulness session that we're putting on. Boy, hey, we're doing uh, yoga in the in the in the quad. <laughs> you know how right, exciting right. versus you know like her manager was like you know I don't wear spandex. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and you know this idea so doing and speaking, but creating too. Are we creating ways for the team to help each other and to make it safe to talk about our mental health at work? Yeah. Stop talking about self-care. Talk about team care. Uh, that Da Vinci approach, I thought was really interesting. Multidiscipline. Make sure you get everybody buying in. And, the, you know, those those catchphrases that we remember, 1989, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You know, tear down those silos. I really thought that was a, a great takeaway for me is this idea of team care, that my health matters to you and your health matters to me. And I think there are some lessons from the pandemic about that, right? Oh, I, I don't get vaccinated just for me. I get vaccinated for my neighbor, for my kids, for my you know, um, grandparents and elderly folks. And a lot of people may be listening, like I am, saying, this is hard to get the team involved. You know, remember that manager, Google, right, who who wanted to create more vulnerability on his team. And so he started talking about things that are affecting him, his cancer that had that had affected him and probably would kill him one day. And he says, I put that out there to my team. And then people started talking about things that were more vulnerable themselves. And all of a sudden... We went back to work the next day and we were closer because yeah. we knew each other at a deeper level. So, you know, how do you create best friends at work? You have to start by being a little vulnerable yourself. Yeah, tell, tell the story. You know, we sure appreciate you uh, tuning into our, our podcast every Friday. Uh, you know, we love our community. We hope you're recommending it to friends. If you really like it, download it and share it with people. We find we're getting some great feedback that these experts that we bring on really are helping them. And of course, special thanks to our producer, Brent Klein, who makes us sound great. Uh, it's a podcast, so he doesn't have to make us look great, which is <laughs> a bonus for me. And to Christy Lawrence, who helps us find these amazing guests. And of course, all of you who listen in. We want to, again, thank you for, for joining us here. If you'd like to learn more, pick up our book, Anxiety at Work. Uh, you can also join our online community, wethrivetogether.global, where we're creating a nice, safe place to talk about anxiety and mental health at work. Yeah, listen, have a great weekend. We love that we're Friday. It gives you the weekend to kind of ruminate and reflect, and we hope you have a great weekend. Unless, of course, you've got other plans. Take care, everybody. <laughs> be happy, be well. Always good to be with you, Adrian. Hey, you too. Take care, everyone.